All righty, righty. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys sound excited. I'm excited as well, and uh, we'll dive right into the Word this morning. Uh, last week, we kicked off uh, with a series of messages. In fact, our theme, thank you, Cedric. Appreciate it. Our theme for this year, 2016, is radically different, radically better. Uh, that's extracted from the Word of God. In fact, Mark chapter 6 and verse 12 in the message paraphrase reads thus. Then they preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Anybody else ready for a radically different, radically better life? Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Well, we have this promise from the Word of God that it is possible that you and I have the potential and the opportunity to experience a radically different and radically better life. Can I just say this, that my life, your life will not be radically better unless we choose to do something radically different. And it's in those moments of clarity when we realize that we can no longer do what we've always done, that we can experience true and lasting change. Last week we said it, uh, that most of us don't change unless uh, there's a moment of inspiration or desperation. Uh, don't wait until you're desperate enough to change. Use every moment of inspiration that God gives you daily to make the adjustments that you need to make. In fact, all change begins with introspection. It, deals with, it begins with us dealing with our blind spots. It begins with us dealing with those things that are, uh, uh, that are obvious to everyone else that we are oblivious to, and that requires accountability in our lives. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit because what we said last week was in order for change to happen, uh, clarity will challenge three things. Clarity will always challenge us to change our routine, what we do daily. Uh, clarity will always challenge us to change our reasoning, the way we think. And number three, clarity, those moments of clarity, those moments of inspiration that God gives us will cause us to change the dynamics of our relationships. That means uh, you can't bring everybody with you where you're going next. One of the hardest decisions you and I will ever make. So as we're talking about being radically different this morning, what I want to revisit uh, uh, are those three things. Our routines, what we do daily, our reasoning, the way we think, and this is why that's critical. Your life and my life will never rise above the level of our thinking. The way you think and the way I think is the lid on my life. It's the lid on your life. In fact, the Bible reminds us of it in the Proverbs. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Hmm. Can I give you another indicator of who we are? It's not just in how we think, it's also in what we say. You can check a person's heart health by the words that come out of their mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can know the condition of a person's heart and you can know their limitations, many of them self-imposed by the words that are coming out of their mouth. And can I say this? That your life and my life will always move in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. So if anything in my life is going to change, I've got to look at my routines, what I do daily. I've got to look at my reasonings, how I think. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says our minds need to be renewed to the word of God. 
because we don't naturally, intuitively, instinctively think the way God thinks. Isaiah chapter 55 declares, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. Can I tell you what else that verse infers? God's ways and his thoughts are not only higher than mine and yours, his ways are better. And so if I'm going to experience the radically different and radically better life, I have to access the word of God, which is higher and better than my way of thinking. I need to submit my reasoning, my finite thoughts and education. How many realize that you and I can't lead and live beyond what we've been exposed to? Y'all miss that. I cannot live beyond what I've been exposed to. And if you've been at City Church for any amount of time, I've shared this progression with you. Who you are, who I am, is first of all a result of my environments. My environments will determine my experiences. Hmm? My experiences will determine my what? Anybody else remember? I'm waiting for you. Expectations is the last one. Ah, very good. So this is what it is. My environment will determine what I'm exposed to. My, what I'm exposed to will determine my experiences, and my experiences will determine my expectations, good or bad. So my environment. You guys know I grew up halfway across the world in Liberia. Growing up in Liberia culturally was very different than growing up in America. But those were my, that was my environment. That environment determined what I was exposed to, good or bad. Where you were born, the environment in which you grew up, determined what you were exposed to. What you were exposed to then determined your experiences, good or bad. And now those experiences have defined your expectations of yourself and of others, good or or bad and those expectations now have become the limitations because you can't live or lead beyond what you've been exposed to but the bible gives us this invitation to live beyond just what we've been exposed to naturally god gives us this invitation and he says your mind can be renewed so that you can begin to see possibilities that are greater than what you've already been exposed to and Oliver Wendell Holmes said it this way, a mind once stretched by a new idea never returns to its original dimensions. When was the last time your mind was stretched beyond your comfort zone? When was the last time your mind was stretched by the word of God? Where your reasonings, the way you always thought and the way you've always processed things was challenged. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's why sometimes we resist the word of God. Because the word of God will challenge the way we think. And in challenging the way we think, the word of God will prompt us to change the way we live. And nothing about my life will be radically different or radically better unless, unless I allow the word of God to challenge the way I think. Routines reasonings and relationships.
So I wanted to revisit that a little bit this morning. Because when we say, oh, yeah, radically different, radically better, everybody's excited and they're shouting. Most of us are unwilling to do the work. There is a God side and a man side to every spiritual equation we find in the word of God. God doesn't do it all, and he doesn't expect us to do it all. God works in tandem with humanity. And God is always faithful to do his part if we will do our part. That's usually where the holdup is, Pastor Jesse. It's not that we're waiting on God. It's that God's waiting on us to make the adjustments to our routines, to make the adjustments to our reasonings and how we process. And might I also add, once again, our relationships. So here we go. Y'all yo, yo, ready? Yo, yo ready for this? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so here we go. Uh, uh, so this, this series of messages is really about radical faith. Because if I'm going to change something in my life, then I'm depending on uh, the veracity and the trustworthiness of God's word. That if I, if I surrender to what God is saying in his word, then I can experience a radically different, a radically better life. I look at the pages of the Bible. I read these words in black and white. And somehow I got to believe that what God is promising in his word is better than what I've experienced all these years. Can I trust it? Because I know what I've experienced. That's very real to me. I know what life looks like growing up in an imperfect family. I know what it's like to be rejected. What it's like to be ostracized. And God, somehow you're telling me that you can take this broken, messed up life and make it better? You mean to tell me I need to have faith that I could be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail when everybody else said I would be absolutely nothing? I'll be a loser just like my daddy? That somehow I need to exchange what I've always heard and what I've always believed about myself for what you've promised in your word? That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is a function of the eyes. Faith is a function of the heart. And there are certain things in the word of God that can only be embraced in the heart. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this thing called faith and why it is critically important to walk by faith. Because unless you and I make the choice to walk by faith, we will never trust our routines to God. We will never trust our reasoning to God. And we'll never trust our relationships to God. All of it is an act of faith. And let me, can I, can I help you? And can I just set the bar once and for all with Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me say that again. Without faith, let me say this, especially to the control freaks who like to have everything about their life planned and scripted, and they like to control it all. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible. Impossible. There are no other alternatives to pleasing God than the life of faith. Mm, let me say that again. Let me say that again. There are no alternatives you can jump up and down, you can roll, you can cry, you can snot, you can beg. It is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible to bring pleasure to God apart from a life of faith. 
It is impossible to bring pleasure to God's heart. Apart from saying, God, I will trust you even when I can't trace you. So if life is going to be radically different and radically better for me, just get ready. Just get ready because God is going to take you on a journey where he will require you to walk by faith and not by sight. Because all faith is divine risk. Most of us are unwilling to risk anything. So we play it safe. And we never experience the God of the impossible. Because we play it safe. And, and, and let me tell you what we settle for. We settle for the life that we can create for ourselves. Because this is within my control. Yet God has said if you'll simply risk it, if you'll simply walk by faith, you will have a life that only I am capable of bringing to you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For we must believe that he is. That's the first thing. We must believe that he is. And number two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I tell you that you and I can never out-give or out-sacrifice God? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That if you'll prioritize God, just as we are over the next seven days, seeking the face of God, there is a reward at the end of this pursuit of God. And some of us are just thinking, well, serving God is in vain. I'm just going through the motions. Yet the life of faith guarantees that God rewards those who every now and then Only when life is good, those who diligently seek him, those who diligently seek him, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Uh, Stephen Furtick, lead pastor of Elevation Church, is a mentor from a distance. And, and, and this is what Stephen Furtick says, uh, speaking of faith being a divine risk. He said, everything in your life will change. Somebody say radically different. Everything in your life will change for the better the day you become more afraid of missing out than messing up. That's where most of us get stuck. What if I mess up? What if I make the wrong decision? And we play it safe. Yet God is inviting us into a life that is radically different and radically better. He's inviting us to jump. You guys saw the clip we ran Last week, Steve Harvey talking about his friend who, who, who had certain routines where they were all going out to hang out. And he said, no, I'm going to bed early because I got to cut Mrs. whatever her name, Mrs. Johnson's lawn. Now owns a $4 million landscaping business in Cleveland. And his other friend who has an $800,000 detailing business, detailing cars, because they chose to jump. Nothing in my life changes until I get that moment of clarity, that moment of clarity when God begins to challenge my routines, my reasonings, and my relationships and says, I'll take you by the hand and walk you through this, but that routine you've had these 20, 30, 40 years that's gotten you nowhere, it's got to change. 
It's got to change. Nothing changes until something changes. I'm going somewhere with this, though. But I'm hanging out here for a little bit. Is that okay? That moment of clarity. And for some of you, it's happening right now. Yeah. Back in the 70s, my dad had this big, we called it the silver blue. He had this big, that's when cars were the size of submarines. He had this big, we called it silver blue, but it was a big silver blue Lincoln Continental, man. And we would drive from my hometown in Buchanan, Liberia, to Monrovia. It was about 88 miles. This was in the late, mid to late 70s. And he would pop in that eight track, y'all. One of his favorite, he loved Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, man. OJs. But one of his favorite songs, man, because it rained a lot in Liberia, man. When it started raining, he would be cruising in that silver blue. Yeah, anybody remember those big old cars? They just kind of bounced like this. You just, not even bounced, they floated, man. That's what it felt like. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you would open the door, right? The, the door, and you, you, I just wanted to hear that door shut because the doors were so heavy. Like, you open it. What was I talking about again? Eight tracks. So he popped in that eight track, one of his favorite songs. Some of my old school peeps, y'all can appreciate this. Johnny Nash, not Johnny Cash, but Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now the rain. Come on, somebody. I can see all. Come on, somebody. Clarity. That moment of clarity. Right? When all of the dark clouds. Yeah. And you can see it's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. All of us have our moments of clarity. Even Erica Badu had a moment of clarity where she said, you can call Tyrone. <laughs> call Tyrone. Get out my house. <laughs> Some of you ladies have had those moments of clarity when you told him, call Tyrone. Beyonce had a moment of clarity too, though. To the left, to the left. Everything in a box. Everything you own in a box to the left. In the closet. We all have our moments of clarity. And those moments of clarity prompt us to change what we've always done. So if without faith it's impossible to please God, how do I begin to walk by faith and not by sight? It starts with cultivating spiritual disciplines. So today I'm just going to focus on routines because our routines have to change. And the first routine that must change if we're going to have a radically different and radically better life is we must cultivate this routine of the word of God. Let me tell you why. If I can't please God without faith, then I must have faith. But how does faith come? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Can I tell you? If you're not exposing yourself to the word of God, your faith may be deficient. If you are not cultivating, if you are not cultivating a lifestyle of diligent study of the word, you probably are not walking by faith. Because faith only comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let me qualify that even further. What the scripture is saying in the Greek, the literal Greek, is not faith comes by having heard the word. That's what most of us do. We come to a service and the pastor say, turn with me to John 3.16. Oh, I heard that already. And we tune him out. No, that verse is saying faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. It is a present continuous tense. So just because I read my Bible on Monday and I don't read it until three weeks later doesn't mean that faith has come. So listen, look at what Ezra did. Ezra lived in a postmodern culture. The Israelites had just been brought back from Babylonian captivity. They had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So their routines and their reasonings had changed. Now they're back in Israel and God is trying to reassimilate them into a life of faith. Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was all about social justice and rebuilding the wall. But the charge that Ezra had was to teach the people the word of God. Because for 70 years they had not heard the word of God. Now listen to what Ezra did. Oh, you beat, you stole my thunder, girl. No, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. This is from the New Living Translation. This was because Ezra had determined to do what? To study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees. Can I pump the brakes there for a second? Notice the progression. Ezra didn't start to teach nothing until he obeyed it first. And Ezra didn't obey it until he studied it first. So I must be a student who lives the word in order to communicate the word to others. But most of us in our time of crisis, like, oh, Lord. And it's like a Google search, no results found. We ain't got no Bible anywhere in us because we ain't put nothing in us. The worst time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning. And most of us Christians, Christ followers, go from emergency to emergency with no word of God in us and therefore no faith. Even the disciples that walked with Jesus, Jesus rebuked them and said, Oh, ye of little faith. We don't even crack open our Bible. We don't even download Bible apps. It's so simple now that even if you're driving down the road, you can push the play button. And while you're driving, the Bible will play for you. If it's impossible to please God without faith and I'm not hearing the word of God, how can I become faithful? So when God says, I need you to quit this job and do the next thing, you ain't got nothing to lean on. You ain't got no word. And we panic. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? When if we're full of the word of God, faith will rise up within us when God begins to speak. 
because we have cultivated a lifestyle of filling our hearts, filling our minds with God's word so that fear never sets in. Let me tell you what fear is. It's simply having faith in the wrong thing. Fear is having greater faith in the enemy than we do in God. Fear is having greater faith in our circumstances than we have in God's ability to turn it around. And the reason most of us are that way is because we are deficient in our faith. And the reason we're deficient in our faith is because we haven't cultivated a routine of studying God's word and reading it and memorizing it. Oh, but we got, we know every top 10 song on the Billboard charts, though. Got it memorized word for word. Our children got to memorize word for word. The Bible? What's that? Yet we call ourselves people of faith, though. And the Bible says it is impossible. Let me reiterate that. It is impossible to please God without faith which only comes by hearing God's word. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere, I promise you, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, Dr. John Maxwell says the secret to success is found in our daily routine. Success doesn't happen in a day, it happens daily. So I can look at my daily routine every day that I live my life devoid of the word of God and somehow think I will have success with God. It doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. One of the things I'm passionate about is just talking straight about where we are so we can examine our hearts. I can look at my routine and look at your daily routine. What percentage, how many minutes of your daily routine have you devoted to any spiritual disciplines, beginning with reading the Bible? That's a question only you can answer. Let me, let me tell you why that's important. This is not in your notes, but can you put James chapter 2, I mean James chapter 1 on the screen. Let me tell you why this is important, and I don't think I'll get through all my message. But I think this is where we probably need to land for the rest of our message. James chapter 1, and let's go down, let's go down to verse 19. James chapter 1 and verse 19. Um, I thought I had my Bible on the front seat but I don't. Jesse, can I borrow your Bible? What version is it? New King James. All right, fantastic. Is that New King James or is that a, that's New King James, fantastic. All right, are y'all still with me? If we, if we knew what we were forfeiting, if we knew what we were forfeiting, if we really understood the connection between the word of God in our success in life. If we really knew the connection between prayer and our fulfillment in life, if we really understood the connection that God has made between these spiritual disciplines and the radically better life, we would do a better job of cultivating them. We would do a better job of cultivating It's a big deal. Inspiration versus desperation. Don't wait until you're desperate for change to try to fast track these spiritual disciplines. 
make it a lifestyle. And, and so, so on a very personal note, uh, and you can probably relate to this as well. But most of us know more about diet and exercise than our daily routines suggest. I know I'm supposed to eat better than I do. I know that I'm supposed to exercise more. I asked my wife last year to get me um, body beast <laughs> for Father's Day. Because when I was sitting there watching the TV and channel surfing, I saw how diesel these guys were after 90 days, and I said, I want that body. Still hadn't cracked it open yet, though. Knowledge alone is not enough. Just because I know the right thing to do is not enough. Are you with me? Uh, uh, so I got on the scale the other day, man, and I jumped on the side. I am heavier than I've ever been eh? for most of my life. I was just in this 175, 180 range. I'm 5'9", most of my life. And all of a sudden, man, the reason I did that is because I started putting on some clothes that used to be, you know, I was going on. So I got on the scale, man, and for the first time in my life, I was over 200. And I used to be able to eat anything I wanted to eat. And my metabolism, man, just burned it right off. And finally, in that moment, I realized, man, you're getting older. Some of that stuff is sticking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And last year, when I went to my doctor, he was like, dude, your cholesterol is off the charts, man. I got to put you on medication right away. I said, nah, them side effects, man, fainting and dying and heart attacks. And <laughs> y'all know what? <laughs> Have y'all ever heard of side effects may include? I like, nah, player. <laughs> Diet and exercise. Now, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be absolutely transparent with you guys, and I can tell you these numbers. Off the charts. And doctors say 200 or less. 200 or less. My cholesterol, 311. And when, when he told me, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the doctor told me, he was, like, the doctor was, was like, man. Man, I can't believe this, man. Are you having heart pain? Are you, do you pass out? Do you? I was like, nah, bro, I'm from Africa. I go hard. <laughs> I see you up there, Macomb. Did I just take off my mic? I just did. And, uh, but then something happened, and I'm going somewhere with this. How much time I got? I'm going somewhere with this. Then something happened, man. Something weird happened. Where I was listening back to one of my messages, man. It's like, why am I breathing so heavy, man? Why are you laughing at me, Tasha? <laughs> You couldn't hold that one in, right? Uh, she couldn't hold it. She'd been trying. I'm like, why am I breathing so hard, man, on my own message? And I'm just talking. 
And when I go talk Levi in, I take him up to his bed. I'm like, why am I breathing so heavy going up the stairs? Some weird stuff start happening to me too, man. And so this morning in the circle, my wife asked the, asked, um, the team to pray for my health because my health doing some weird stuff, man. It's never done, you know. So I'm going to see the doctor at the end of the month. Now, why do I say that? I should have been doing better a long time ago. And I'm telling you again, a lot of what I'm saying this morning about being a student of the word is, will fall on deaf ears. Will fall on deaf ears and our routines will not change and therefore we'll continue to get more of what we've always gotten. Just like me going to the doctor and say you need to get on medication right now. And the only reason I'm going to change anything is because I'm breathing heavy. I'm like, man, I can't be sending this sermon audio out. People be like, what's wrong with your pastor? <laughs> so now it ain't even desperation, it's just pride. <laughs> All right, what was I talking about? <laughs> James, is this helping anybody yet? Is helping one or two of you? Okay. So James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 19. Verse 19. Uh, Jesse, I don't understand your Bible. <laughs> is this the Quran, man? <laughs> hey, man. Jesse. Oh, my bad. Okay, I see it. I see it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, it says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be what? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Can we pump the brakes there? Quick to hear, quick to hear. Two ears, one tongue. We should be hearing twice as much as we speak. And when he says swift to hear, what is he talking about? Be swift to hear the word of God. That means prioritize the word of God. Lean into the word of God. So that faith can come. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. And be slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For those of you who have anger issues. Your anger issues do not produce the righteousness of God. When you get angry and your anger is uncontrollable. You are not producing the righteousness of God. You are giving in to an influence that is contrary to the righteousness of God. Okay. Let me leave that alone. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted. Receive with meekness. There it is. My reasonings will only change if I receive the word of God with meekness. I can't have pride and receive the word of God. Now, why is that important? This word of God that I never pick up and I never read is able to save my soul. The very thing that I ignore and push to the bottom of my priority list is the very thing that God has given me to save my soul. And I wish I could get into the, all the theology of what it means to save your soul. But what Jesus, uh, what David prayed in the 23rd Psalm was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
only the word of God can restore our souls and take away all the pain and the hurt and the scars and the damage, the very thing we ignore. And I'm going somewhere with this because this is where we're going to end. I didn't get to my rest of my message, but this is where we're going to end. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just hear it, but be like Ezra who studied the word so that he could obey it. Most of us just read the Bible so we can know it, so we can argue. And we think the person with the better argument wins in life. But nothing about my life changes until I make a conscious decision to be a doer of the word. Listen to what the scripture says. We hear the word, don't do it, and we deceive ourselves. The worst place to be as a Christian is to be deceived. Self-deception. Oh, I come to church every Sunday. I listen to Pastor Ray. But I don't do what the Bible says, though. I don't do it. Cuss my wife out. Beat my wife. Do all kind of dumb stuff. But I'm okay, though, because I'll be in church on Sunday. You deceive yourself when you know the good to do and do not do it. You have gone into a place of self-deception and don't even know it. The Bible says that Samson tried to shake himself after Delilah cut his hair. He tried to shake himself one last time and he didn't even know that the spirit of God had departed from him. And most of us sitting in the coming to church every day, hear the word, don't do it. And don't even know. We try to shake ourselves. And we're in bondage. How did I get here? It was his routines, though. I don't know about you, but the first time, if my head is on Delilah's lap, the first time she asks me for the source of my strength and I tell her some false story and the Philistines descend upon me, I'm out of there, man. I'm like Belle Biv DeVoe. That girl is poison. <laughs> No, but read the story. Read the story. He put his head back on her lap. And then he told her another story that wasn't true, and the Philistines came again. And he put his head back on her lap. Somebody say codependency. Only the word can renew your soul, even if you're as strong as Samson. But that's the thing we reject. So this is where I'm going. What time is it? Okay, yeah, good. This is, this is perfect. Let me, let, me, let me wrap it up right here. What did I read? What was I reading? Mm, verse 23. The point I'm trying to make, y'all, the point I'm trying to make is right here in verse 23. If we only knew what we were forfeiting by ignoring God's word, God's love letter, God's text message, God's I am daily to us right here. This is God speaking to me, having daily communion with God. And we forfeit that by not even paying attention to it. Let me tell you one of the things that we're forfeiting. Okay, We're forfeiting the intimacy with God. We're forfeiting direction from God. We're forfeiting and missing out on the plan of God. We're missing out on the radically better and radically different life. But let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, ultimately, what we're doing. Here it is. Here it is. 
Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Come on, city church. Y'all stay with me now. Every time I open this book, I'm looking into the mirror of God's word. And the reflection that I see is all that I can be. When I look into the word of God, the reflection I see is all of who God has created me to be. Yet the Bible says, if I look into this word and I'm just a hearer and not a doer, I'm like somebody who looks in the mirror and instantly forget, man, what do I look like? Do I have blonde hair or brown hair? Is my hair straight or curly? And guess what we default to? We allow everybody else to tell us who we are. My mama's going to tell me. My spouse is going to tell me. And if you don't tell me what I need to hear, my insecurities grow. And we go through life squeezing and grabbing at people to tell us who we are. Tell me something good. Tell me how beautiful I am. Tell me what a great worker I am. Tell me what a great son I am. Tell me what a great daughter I am. And we don't even know because we haven't looked in the mirror of God's word. And let me tell you what we have become comfortable with. We have become comfortable with the images that we see of ourselves that's coming from distorted mirrors. Like going to a carnival and you stand in front of that distorted mirror and it makes your, your torso long and your head wide and your feet big and this is who I am. Because that's what mama told me I look like. This is, this is who I am. I must be, I must be grotesque because that's what everybody else said about me. That's why they fired me from that job. I wasn't good enough. That's why my girlfriend walked away from me. And we go back to that mirror every day and all we see is a distorted image of something beautiful that God created. Yet God has given us his perfect mirror that if you and I will simply look in this mirror, you and I will not need affirmation from another soul, no, never again. And most people walk out of our lives because we're trying to squeeze out of them what only God can give us. Yet God has given it to us right here and we ignore it. I ain't looking in this Bible. I'm going to look at this distorted mirror that gives me a reflection of something grotesque. And we forfeit because of our routines. We forfeit who we are in him. And the second thing that we forfeit is because we never look in this Bible. We never truly see what is possible through him. We never see what is possible through him. We never see how truly beautiful we are, how truly special we are. We never get God's, get God's uh, uh, estimation of how beautiful we are and how perfect we are and for the purpose for which we were created because we look everywhere else for it. Let me tell you about the woman at the well. The reason that woman was married five times, this is my theory.
is that she spent most of her life looking in distorted mirrors. And every time she married a new man, she saw that new man would give her a better image of herself. And every time she squeezed that new man, looking for a new image, all she got out of that man was their humanity. Most relationships end because of unmet expectations. And most people marry because of a broken Renee Zellweger theater, uh, uh, theology. You complete me. No, I don't. I hope you came to this thing as complete as possible. <laughs> I ain't the one to complete you. No, this is real talk. And we marry and marry the person and say, oh, this person is going to complete me. When the person is just as broken as you are. Got just as much baggage as you got. And neither one look into the, the mirror of God's word for their security. They look into each other. And all we get is distorted reflections. And we never see what is possible. The band can come because I'm all done. Robert Cavett said it this way. Any man who selects a goal in life which can be fully achieved in his own strength alone has already defined his own limitations. I'll say that again. Any man, and if you're in this room, if you're in this room and you say, you know what, I got this. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I got my plan. Listen to what Robert Cavett said. Any man or woman who selects a goal in life which can be fully achieved in his or her own strength alone has already defined his, only, his own limitations. All you will ever have is what you are able to do in your own strength. Yet when I look to the word of God, the possibilities are endless. So this morning... God wants to challenge our routines. And I wish I had time to do the rest of the message because I had a four-point sermon and I barely made it through the first point. But God wants to challenge our routines with the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Read the Word of God. It's the mirror of God's Word. And when you look in that mirror, you will see who you are in Him. And you'll no longer settle for the distorted images that life throws at you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, second spiritual discipline. First one is the word of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray. That word when infers, infers that it's not optional, it's essential. He didn't say if you pray. Jesus said when you pray. It presupposes that as Christ followers, we pray. And that's a spiritual discipline to cultivate if we're going to have a radically different and radically better life. Third thing Jesus said is when you fast. Why do we fast every year? Not because it's some cool, hip, trendy thing to do. Jesus said, not if you fast. He said, when you fast. We don't do it because it's religious. We do it because it's right. And number three, or number four, four spiritual disciplines, the word of God, prayer, fasting, and number four, generosity. Jesus says, when you do your charitable deeds, not if. He said, when? When? 
And next week we're going to talk about that because if we're going to have a radically better and radi radically different and radically better life. God, he's going to challenge our routines. When was the last time you just did something generous? For someone who could do nothing for you in return. Somebody reach out to Pastor Wendy on, on Facebook. Someone uh, she grew up with in Ypsilanti, Michigan. <laughs> and this guy had just gotten out of prison. And started to search for all the people that he grew up with and he found Wendy. And he had been in jail so long he didn't even know how to use social media, the internet, or uh, 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 his smartphone. And this young man was adopted. His, his biological mom and dad had abandoned him. His, his foster parents had abandoned him because of his bad choices. And he reached out to the Christians. And he's in a halfway house with no clothes. And so Wendy calls her mom and she calls her sister and says, let's do something for this guy. So she goes shopping for him. Did she have to do it? We could have taken that condescending position that most of us take. And they weren't even buddy-buddy and they weren't even friends, just lived on the same street. And so she went shopping for him. And her mom gave her money for gift cards. And, and this guy is a lot bigger than I am, so I couldn't send him any clothes. But Wendy went and bought all new clothes for him. And he just happens to wear the same size shoes that I wear. So I found the best pair of winter shoes in my closet, man. A nice pair of fly <laughs> Kenneth Cole boots. Did I have to give it to him? No. Could I have given something less expensive or less valuable to me that he would have loved anyway? Yeah. But Jesus says, when you do your charitable deeds. And this is what Jesus said. He says, when you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He said, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. Was he in prison? No, he wasn't in prison, but he was out of prison. And Jesus said, the love you extend to this guy who's trying to figure his way out every single day. He calls Wendy two or three times a day. Hey, how do I do this? How do I do this? Okay, I'm on the computer, but it's saying this. How do I do this? And we're walking him through the process because the life, the radically different and the radically better life that God calls us into requires us to be generous with our time and how we love people. People matter to God, so people should matter to us. And the question is, when was the last time you did a charitable deed for someone who couldn't help you? Because that's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Not just to show up in our Sunday best and hope that we'll get all the attention when God wants us to be the ones helping hurting people in our world. Let us pray. Father, I ask you right now, and you know...